Anyway, AJ, to do our introduction properly, have I ever told you about uh, when my players teleported into an encounter I hadn't yet designed and the uh, making of it in the session resulted in a very permanent player character death because I got the balance wrong? I was going to say, you've mentioned it and we've brought it up before because we were talking about this episode in advance, but go ahead and for the sake of the illusion, (laughs) let's assume that I know nothing. Go on. Uh, Yeah, so my... um... The players were tracking down Captain Leopold, a pirate king, um, and uh, as they are quite high level, they used the spell Scrying to find him, and as they had access to a helm of teleportation, decided to ambush Leopold as he underwent a dark and mysterious ritual. Now, uh, I'd planned for the players to perhaps teleport to Leopold, but it was very hard to tell when he'd do it, when they'd actually get off their asses and deal with him. So I hadn't really planned for it to be in this session, but I did have his stats. And uh, I I quickly realised that they were going to bring along not only themselves, but uh, three NPC companions, which is double the party size normally. And um, so I would need to make a very hard encounter because they were absolutely um, not meant to do this fight like this. The, The going in, knocking down the front door approach... Um, was a chance to cut Leopold off from vital magical ritual power. It was definitely not the circumstances which it was wisest to fight him in. Uh, So I very quickly rolled up a a large number of cultists and drow uh, to be support on this, and included Leopold himself, who is a very powerful boss that I had homebrewed. And obviously, experienced GMs are already worrying at the phrase homebrew. Uh, <laughs> and let me just reassure you, he was also wearing, a, he was also using a completely homebrew artifact. Ah. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, the fight was not fun um, because the players very quickly got hemmed in by their enemies and weren't really able to use their offensive powers very well because the enemies got a stupidly high initiative. What the fight turned into was players forced to stand in an area of effect uh, insect plague spell and the healer constantly healing them while very occasionally they would do some chip damage to some enemies. Um, uh, Unfortunately, Leopold rendered the uh, fighter in two and activated a power to take his soul, meaning he couldn't be revived. So... um, Let's look at what we can learn about encounter design from this. Yeah. Shall we roll for shenanigans? We shall. Sometimes yeah. you have to do, but you you should hmm. always be aware any encounter you have to roll up mid-session is going to be worse than an encounter you pre-plan. Like, there's, there's, no, way, there's no way it can't be, because you can check the numbers, you can look at the monsters you're using. Cause if I'd have you're realized, running off instinct, really. Yeah, if I'd have realised... If I'd have done my normal encounter design process for this one, I'd have realised the priestess had several spells that limit movement, and I would have reconsidered how I set the encounter up to give the players chance to move out 
or mm. even I wouldn't have used that monster. I would have changed her for some other spellcaster and reflavored the the encounter. But um, I couldn't do that, so it went quite badly wrong. Because <laughs> it wasn't yeah. just a hard encounter. Like I think if the players had, I'm not against the fighter dying, which is the the main core outcome of this um, encounter, but. I am against the fact the way he died wasn't very good because he got he got hemmed in and really couldn't use his powers and died. It, it felt a bit inevitable that one or more of the mm. players were going to die from maybe the second round, and this was quite a long combat, so it was it wasn't even like I immediately crit them and like um, they started dying very quickly and very quickly got the message that they shouldn't do this fight. It always seemed like. If they just healed someone and that person just made the attack, then the encounter momentum would switch, and it never did. On the cusp of taking of of um, taking back uh, control of the fight, if you will. Absolutely. Which thematically speaking and na- narratively speaking is the, is the right kind of vibe you want to evoke from a from a encounter. You want to give us give that constant sense of that, particularly if you're doing a fighting uh, uphill kind of contra- mm. challenge. Then uh, you want that idea, that sense that at any moment the tides could shift and it could switch back in their favour. Yeah. But uh, if that opportunity never arises, and it's led to some interesting game because now the next, the last couple of sessions have been all about the players getting hands on a divine artifact, on preparing for round two of this fight because Leopold didn't get rid of any of them; they did escape. Um, so you know. The fighter is a big loss, and he captured some of their NPC allies, but not all of them. And the players now know what he's got up his sleeves. And, Mm. you know, I think this is a point... um, When you're talking about villains, which I think... What we're talking about, at least at the moment, is boss encounters and significant encounters. And we'll perhaps go into later how you run less important encounters with a bunch of goons that are mostly designed yeah. but this is a narrative encounter it's an encounter where the plot will shift depending on its outcome much more so than otherwise um and i think some ultra realist uh, gms might argue that now leopold has had this encounter and seen the players capabilities he should adapt his tactics knowing they will adapt theirs but you've got to be careful i think about doing that and i think when you are running encounters as a po- and when you are designing them, you've got to consider the capabilities of your players and the capabilities of the enemies and how intelligent the two sides are. You know, if a, if a, you know, there was some stuff that uh, Leopold did that the players were actually immune or able to counter, I won't have him use that again, but I'm not going to design a power that he suddenly has that cuts through one of their powers equally. There's, there is room for adaptation and improvement, but you've got to, A, stick within the realms, the rules with this established within your own setting, within your own domain, and also kind of stick this rule of fairness. You don't want to, you don't want to just carry out an ass pull at the last second because, oh, they, this is something that I know they'll be weak to. You don't want to build an encounter based around, this is the, these are the key weaknesses that I, the DM, have identified in the place. Yes, although it can serve as an interesting, in, I think you don't want to do that with big narrative encounters, but I think it can definitely serve as an interesting dungeon encounter to go like, I know this is um, a tactic the players often use, and I've designed a situation in which they 
can't use it. Yeah, but that's kind of a different situation. It's not a player necessarily, or it's not a character that's that's trying to kill them to do that. It's putting them. It's it's kind of going here's a situation that that kind of challenges what you anticipate. Is it, this here's an here's an obstacle you have to overcome that is geared against your strengths rather than leaning into them. It's not. It's yeah, not necessarily. Yeah, I get what you it's mean. not necessarily targeted. It's more like that hurdle to overcome. Yeah, and a good example of that is um, from my last campaign, a couple of campaigns ago. Um, the players needed to take down an elder brain as the final boss of the um, whole campaign. Frankly, um, hmm? after their last party had TPK'd in the elder brain's domain. They were very keen to get back at the Elder Brain on a meta level. Yeah, every every single character just mysteriously has some some shenanigans in their backstory to do with the Elder Brain to go. Oh, what a coincidence! I guess we all have a very personal need to turn this well, Elder Brain into a suit. They very deliberately asked me that if we do a new campaign, could we start a higher level and in an area affected by the Mind Player invasion because they mm. were invested in fighting the Elder Brain and they didn't think their yeah. characters would know straight away, but could we build towards that? So I built a campaign. Yeah, give, a that... reason, give a reason for player and character interests to intersect. But how I set that campaign up, because they'd done a lot of research and preparation to justify their characters knowing all the ins and outs of the Mind Player dungeon, um, they'd prepared a lot of magic items like rings of mind shielding, armors of psychic resistance, and so on. Very specifically, if you if you wanted a mind gear to kill a mind flayer, they had possession of it. <laughs> this is this is someone who's gone right. Let's let's look at the books and go ah mind flayers. Let's let's what's going to work here? Let's let's just put a little bit of armor plating specifically covering the crown <laughs> of my skull, <laughs> the very top. It's. It's it's one of those things where it's one of those utterly impractical pieces of armor that's going to have no use anywhere else. The sort of thing that that you're going to in a fantasy RPG you'd see, uh, you know, a female character wearing because the designers have made that choice. Yeah. Just yep. the one niche, the one niche in which that armor would actually be of any use, directly on the top of the skull. Yeah. So, but. I wanted, I still wanted the Elder Brain fight, um, which they didn't even really get to the last time, to be something that challenged them. And because the whole plot was about psionics trying to destroy magic, I had the Elder Brain position itself in an aura of anti-magic. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they couldn't cast spells and they couldn't use their magic items, but... I allowed them to roll to notice that there were these, like, control nodes, um, which they could destroy with mundane damage, and each time they destroyed it, it shrunk the area until it didn't exist at all, and then they could start throwing everything at the Elder Brain, but because they were so spread out, and because I'd had time to design this boss arena, the Elder Brain was in the middle, and they were pretty confident they couldn't take it without magical help because some of them were spellcasting characters and several of them had magical weapons that would really help killing an Elder Brain. Yeah. They had to run to these areas and it would take them four or five rounds, assuming good rolls, to destroy all of this. And they did phenomenally well. I think they very immediately spotted this problem and dealt with it and then ultimately won the Elder Brain. But it meant that the encounter changed from we are going to smash the fuck out of this thing to being like, okay, we have to endure this thing's attacks long enough that we yeah. can then turn the fight around. And it made it very interesting. 
yeah, it shifts the dynamic and the expectation. If the fight is, if you're going into a fight, going this is going to be a, a we're just going to smash this thing, and it goes that way, then it might be an interesting fight, but it's not. It's it's going to be somewhat limited. If you've turned that dynamic around and you've shifted that expectation from them, it's it adds this whole new layer. No, no fight that goes exactly as planned is as interesting as one that doesn't. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a lot more interesting to put give your players a situation and watch them adapt to. And it. I think this comes to my first real big point about setting up and designing an encounter is what are the bad guys' goals? What are the players' goals? In any RPG mm. system, this applies. Um, it, in uh, my Shadowrun game, for example, we recently had a story where one of the player characters was captured, and the other players were fighting through uh, the uh, kidnappers' defenses to get there before the other PC died and I had to pace that encounter very specifically with attacks that I knew would ultimately kill the person being rescued but given the villain was quite sadistic and deliberately trying to torture the person it had to be slow which gave a meta uh, help to me because that meant that the players had to get a move on but they weren't there wasn't it wasn't like a lucky roll was just going to kill their companion and cause forever death and that's a very good example where the the villain and the players are have obviously opposing goals the players want to get their rescue and take revenge on the villain and the villain wants this person dead before the players get there but they they are going about those goals in interesting ways and I think there are two goals you kind of have to consider with encounter design there's the narrative goal so in my elder brain example kill the elder brain, kill the players is the is the goal of both sides. But the meta goal of the players is, like I said, endure, take down this stuff. Because they can't achieve their actual goal until they've achieved that. And that's really how they have to balance their tactics. You know, they're not... It's not worth using some of their more powerful spells and stuff until they've dealt with some of that field. And... I think that also plays into the intelligence of the NPCs. The intelligence of players, we know, we know is minimal. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> I beg to differ. I beg to differ. One of the things I love to do with my encounters is I like to almost leave room for inventive thinking. And one of the sort of archetypes of that was the encounter I ran, and uh, not just uh, last thursday last week week before uh it got split into two parts because the game but effect because the game was supposed to be one shot that ran over but effectively the premise of it was very much i told them from the start this is a fight you're going to be fighting uphill i gave them their objective of there is that uh cannon that steam sling as it was referred to this big artillery piece that they've got to try and destroy before it takes down their entire uh location they knew that getting there, there was going to be a, there was going to be obstacles and traps that could potentially put them at risk, and they knew that they're a small group that's trying to take out this potentially larger environment. And uh, when they got there, there was a number of cannons that were not facing towards them because they snuck up behind. There was the steam sling, which they knew would not be able to hit them. But there's like team of riflemen and a hill giant who is there, whose main purpose is there to load the artillery piece, but is not really on their side or the enemy's side really the moment moment fighting kicks off i'm just rolling random dice every turn to see who is going to attack that time and uh let me tell you luck was not on their side for the start <laughs> yeah but in that sort of environment you've got it's a they knew they were going into a fight that was going to be hard to win 
and they had some chance to prepare but also there was there was missed opportunities on the way not least because uh, one of the traps that they encountered on the way was a concealed barrel of alchemist's fire the purpose of which was yeah tripwire if they trip that up cork comes out alchemist's fire spills along the mountain pass there's now this but this this pool of of fire that's sending a smoke signal into the clouds and that's blocking their path and might set someone on fire if they'd managed to successfully disarm that great they've they've got a barrel of alchemist fire that they can p- potentially find some use for and have some creative thinking they did manage to disarm it and uh and then one of the players after they got back went i want to see what it is okay so i'm so net dex check to get it out without damaging the barrel okay that's fine and now you've got it great i want to uncork it and stick my finger in it now the thing about alchemist's fire <laughs> It catches fire on exposure to oxygen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, did not, did not. They successfully subverted the trap only to go, let's place my foot on this landmine. Yeah. yeah. And it, it meant that the encounter was more difficult than it had to be because they'd gone in shorthanded on the hit points front. But through some creative thinking, through being able to make use of the terrain and the environment, they were able to prevail, and through some lucky rolls in that the uh, the one person who did go down managed to survive his death-saving throws. Cool. But... Cool. Yeah. I definitely think you you can set up... I think one of the things we're, we're discussing here in terms of... Because it, it's true with your alchemist fire, it's true with my anti-magic uh, aura, is... The circumstances... Players will stick their dick in the biggest problem they can find. That is, yes. that is universal, <laughs> but what I was going to say is, when you when you read the rules for an encounter, uh, and there is some reference to it in the DMG, but if you go by the numbers, the only things that affect the counter difficulty are number and challenge rating of bad guys in D&D. Mm. Um, some other systems have some different methods, but generally, in encounter design, you're not encouraged to think about the context of the fight affecting it much but a giant anti-magic you know if i'd have given my elder brain the spell anti-magic field it would have increased the charge rating quite a lot because that's quite a high level Mm. spell to suddenly just drop on it but the players would also not have had any method of subverting that anti-magic field so it's not like i can just say oh it's as hard as if it had that it's uh it's a thing that requires careful consideration and balancing i think similarly if you look at a creature and know that well because i'm doing this fight in a narrow corridor they can't turn into a dinosaur and non the players then you yeah. you know that 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 power is effectively nullified um it's it's a very tricky element is the context and the thing and i think it's very tempting to do almost all your fights in big open rooms um, but I would counsel against that if you can think of an interesting uh, place to yes. have encounter. I really like bridges. Like this is a this is a small obsession of mine that bridges always make a good place to have an encounter because they are <laughs> over something that uh, you don't want to fall in on. Uh, yes. You can only really have one person uh, from each side having a one on one fight. If it's a narrow bridge, maybe two. Um, it it can make for some really interesting gameplay and players are forced to use powers they wouldn't often just to get attacks in um it often i think the bridge encounter favors the players because they're more likely to have access to fly and ranged damage and yes um movement powers but you know you encourage loads of stuff you can cut the bridge you can like 
There's so much uh, fun stuff you can do with bridges over dangerous places. I was going to say, you can cut the bridge. Yeah, great. I've got my, I've got my knife out. It's not working. It's not working. This bridge is made of stone. <laughs> I did have a stone bridge over some lava recently as well. I was going to say, I say that. One of my, it's a complete side tangent. One of my groups has now got, has now very much got a method of going, dealing with all their problems by going as the crow flies. Uh, <laughs> Both in the sense of they don't they don't really plan, they just go towards the biggest problem they can see with and then bumblefuck their way out of it. And in a very literal sense, in that one of the one of the challenges I set up for one of my players at one point is they're they're going to infiltrate this tower so that they can get to this old dead wizard's uh, ancient lair, uh, named Doctor Edward von Eger. And uh, the first element of this this challenge is that there is a tower. The top, the top. There is no entrance underground. They have to literally enter through the top by some sort of flying means. There's this trap at the top. As they attempt to descend down, there's this whole spider's web thing where there's going to be this spider crawling down to descend to get them. And at the very bottom of it, there is a teleportation circle that requires them to divulge their deepest, darkest secret to uh, activate something which was shamelessly stolen from Chris Perkins. Uh, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, one thing I hadn't planned on. One of the players is a half orc barbarian who now wields a maul made of adamantium. Adamantium has the feature of automatically scoring a crit against structures and and uh, structures and and objects, non non animated objects, and it being a siege weapon, mm. it is a yeah. Mm. Funny. So they completely subverted the first aspect of this by literally busting in through the wall. <laughs> they went full Kool-Aid on my encounter and ignored all the detailed traps I started with. So, yay. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> like, um, one thing we <clears throat> I kind of want to bring up as well. We've talked about, in vague terms, things that... Making encounters an interesting challenge through, you know, yeah. different environments, different strange tactics, uh, stuff that might weaken them immediately before. How do you feel and how often do you use easy encounters? Not too often, honestly, because sometimes I, sometimes I will use easy encounters if, if that, like, they're just a passing thing, if they're not the main objective of the, of the consequence. Uh, like, recently, uh, my, one of my group fate, faced a Dibbuk uh, that was possessing this, this body of a privateer who was effectively this this if it's 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 very much inspired by the east india company this militarized uh guild of a uh, guild mafia kind of thing uh so the fight itself not terribly difficult in part because i couldn't land a fucking hit all day but uh <laughs> but it's something that they were able that's meant to lay the seeds for future concerns and for future problems because one of the things it implies is why is this dibuk here these things are these things are drawn towards large bodies of un, large amounts of unburied corpses so that they can possess so what's that meant to indicate it's not meant to necessarily be the main boss fight or anything but it is meant to it's meant to set, lay the seeds for something however quite often when it does come to a fight a fight in itself if i'm using if i'm using not easier challenges it's either meant to indicate something or it's meant to drain wear people down before they get to the main fight i tend to build a lot of my a lot of my combats around very much harder or deadly encounters so that there is that real sense of threat to the players sometimes working sometimes not but uh, 
it's it's a case of the greater the big the better response I've usually got is this is is from when they're going I was I wasn't sure we were going to make it out of that one. Mm. Well, I think it's important to for pacing reasons to have easier encounters. I think yeah. a solid diet of medium uh, average difficulty is where you want most your encounters to be medium and then hard and deadly for the the serious stuff. Um, but mm. I think I think you know your 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 if encounter is not important at all mediums probably about right if it's some guards for the bad guy or a random you know wandering group of monsters in a dungeon or something to waylay them on the road i think medium is fine i like to use easy encounters for one of the things you've mentioned there the in indicating something so i once yeah. had um a high level group of players fight some bandits and it was an easy it wasn't even an easy encounter for them it was an easy encounter for a few levels back um because the players were absolutely able to cream this encounter and the bandits very swiftly started shitting themselves and running away <laughs> and the players the players brutally murdered all of them anyway um but classic shenanigans but the important thing was <laughs> like with your large amounts of dead bodies things this was an area formerly under tight control by um the empire and by its associated kingdoms and guards and military and men this was to indicate that the effects the players had had on the world is largely to heavily weaken power of the empire and now a consequence of that was crime rate goes up because they can't police themselves um it you know and they weren't a serious threat to the players but it was you know a way of indicating that it was a show don't tell moment and equally i think sometimes another reason for that easy encounter is if players have leveled to quite a high level uh, especially if they've just ranged a, uh, reached a new tier, I often like to show them an encounter which is similar to one they faced mm. before and had significantly more difficulty with, and this time they breeze through it to give them a sense that it's not, you know, while your prob the problems you face are of a much bigger scale, you are actually progressing. These smaller scale problems still happen, it's just lesser people than you now deal with them, and you can easily confront such issues and such monsters and so on um you know if they've been waylaid by like ogres i might have them be waylaid by another set of ogres several levels later and find that those ogres are yeah. completely non-consequential because uh, you know you don't want to do that too often i think once or twice a tier is a good enough reminder of you're getting strong now but oh, you don't just have a bucket of ogres on standby. Yeah, I don't. Here you go. Go on, help yourself. Have some. Have some ogres. Get get these some XP. You, you go say on. that. I have seriously thought about doing a D and D campaign where it's like the Truman Show. <laughs> so, so the players are the, like Truman in it, and the first like couple of dungeons are the same, and then like the next time they fight like an orc in a dungeon, I'm like, just roll a perception check. Yeah, orc number three looks very similar to orc number forty-two in the last <laughs> in the last dungeon. Or like, wait a second. Or like, if they as they get like powers like teleport and stuff, they they occasionally like walk in. If they do something quicker than I was expecting, they might see like a panicked director briefing the king and the king looking at like hastily added script notes or something, and they have to work out that it's it's like a a Truman Show style arrangement. Um, being done by some evil illusionist archmage or something. I I was gonna say yeah, but you'd just be entertaining if you had something like just a lich in the background <laughs> going, "Shit, this isn't supposed to happen." Yeah. 
we're all, we're three seasons ahead. Yeah, exactly. But I don't know. Somebody call my manager. The problem and is, and then a, an angel descends. <laughs> so it's it's clearly not just the evil plot. Just yet, this is just so. This is some some pan dimensional fuckery going yeah. on. Yeah, the, the the various gods and devils are bored with the world it's kind of been solved, so they've decided to create <laughs> a, 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 a demi-plane. Evil and good, it's so passe. <laughs> yeah, so um, uh, I've, I've thought about doing that before. The problem with that campaign is I think it is only funny for a one-shot and yet needs yeah. an entire campaign to set up. <laughs> 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 oh, the classic problem. I've got this great idea for a one-shot. Five seasons later. Yeah, we're getting to the punchline, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> also a good way of describing most uh, American sitcoms. Ooh. Ooh, oh, oh, satire. I mean, that's another encounter design thing. People often say, oh, where did you get this idea for this cool encounter? It's like... Someone else's game. Yeah. <laughs> either, either a stream. Like, <laughs> there were plenty of D&D streams. Just direct streams. them to this podcast. <laughs> there are plenty of D&D streams, but how many times have me or you discussed an idea and have gone, well, I'm stealing that that encounter now. Yeah. I will adapt that to something much. else. Oh, yeah. I am, I am fully waiting to get sued by the entire cast of Critical Role for half the things I've nicked and have discussed on this podcast. Yeah. It's going to be great. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, um, I mean... I think. Oh, speaking of Chris Perkins, where's where's the where's our book? Where's our sponsorship deal? Damn it! <laughs> I mean, his, I'm still waiting. An idea of his I really liked uh, that's relevant to Encounters is in the um, episode of Ack Inc where they go into the Underdog to save Dritz, and he just has the two gargoyles like Statler and Waldorf. <laughs> yeah, I'm like yes. that. That's com- battle commentary in character. Battle commentary is a thing that I want to steal. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. Spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen that episode and is still interested in watching it several years down the line. Uh, yeah, I will avoid. Yeah, this, is, this is our this is our other threat to Wizards of the Coast. We we will <laughs> we will stop this podcast when we finally get that book. Yeah. Otherwise, we're just going to keep spoiling your games several years after the fact. Yeah, but I won't spoil Critical Role though because uh, they're nice and lots of people watch that. Um, nah. <laughs> but, but and I can safely I don't know when this will come out but because of the quality of Critical Role I can say this no matter time I was like what about that last episode though and the twists oh, in it <laughs> when they uh, did the thing when they did and, the thing yeah. I mean I do know that the, the very last episode had some cool and exciting twists but that may as well be like I could be watching campaign yeah. one like you know <laughs> Well, you're not on campaign three yet? <laughs> wow, you're behind. I was going to say, I'm going to make a controversial statement here. All right, go on. I don't really bother balancing my encounters anymore. <gasps> Shock horror questions asked at yeah. Parliament. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I say that I, when it comes to the big boss fight at the end, I will really balance them properly because that's because that's something that I need to get a fine balance to. I want to get this. I want to get the right vibe of the fight, but I and I want it to be real challenging. But I don't usually, at least, want it just to be a you walk in and you die. I want it to be some degree of tense without a foregone conclusion. Sometimes that works, sometimes that doesn't. Look plays a very good part, big part in that, and I have at least, at least two different stories in completely different directions about how these fights have gone wrong. But, in the more general fights, I genuinely, I genuinely just sort of go, ah, that'd be great, do that. Like, um, one of my newer games, when they first got to level one, they did the first session, they didn't even get to the objective because uh, they failed to, they failed, they critically failed on a survival check to try and follow uh, tracks that w- the DC was five, uh, and they still managed to get lost. 
but they found they found a different piglet that was squealing uh, as as the wizard went over to to check it out a harpy dived because one of the setup is this forest is infested with harpies that's one of the reasons why the colony that they are that they are from hasn't has very much stalled they can't go to the tree line to cut down other trees and begin the building process because there's such a risk there is very much this stalemate as the harpies won't leave the tree line and the colonists won't enter the tree line as such a single harpy has a has an xp as a challenge rating of i think one which is about 2000 xp for a group of five level ones that's pretty difficult and so i just it wasn't thought to be a difficult encounter it meant it was the main encounter for the day but it was just yeah the, if you fuck up and you get lost this is one of the this is the big risk you're going to have to deal with i also just want to say be ambushed it's, uh, 200 xp but uh yeah i yeah sh- sh- shut your mouth <laughs> I don't like it when you make me look bad. I'll break quarantine to slap some to slap you <laughs> slap some sense into you. I'll teach you to correct me. Uh, but yeah, things things kind of went a bit bumblefuckery further when uh, they killed the harpy and the kobold gunslinger they had uh, just uh, spent the inti- spent the entire minute screaming at the piglet that they had rescued that was also squealing, and so I just went random roll. Yep, you've literally drawn two other harpies to your location mm. how are you going to deal with that shit it's very much a case of this is not based around what's going to be difficult and what's going to be hard it's based around what are the known threats that you that are around here are you going to make things worse for you worse for you than they actually are it's not re- it's not an encounter that's built around being difficult or hard per se it's about establishing the stakes and establishing the risks of the of the environment that they are in yeah I think you've always got to ask, what's the point of this encounter? Um, yeah. And, like, that's establishing the stakes and thinking about what is there is often where I use random encounter tables. Mm. Um, I often make my own. Um, they're very useful for delaying players when they are moving too fast. And I haven't planned the place that they have suddenly decided to travel <laughs> to. Um but my random encounter tables will not be terribly balanced. Like, I will run... How I tend to balance a random encounter table is I put a dice number in and then I quickly run... If I rolled maximum on this, what's the worst this encounter would be? And if it's thousands of XP past a hard or deadly <laughs> encounter, I'm like, let's scale this back a little bit. Um, What's this? You're going through a desert as a group of level 5. What's the worst thing that could happen? Ancient Blue Dragon! Yeah. Um, and sometimes I will still include encounters like that, but I know that that it will take some serious effort for them to irritate the dragon into attacking them. Mm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't balance my encounters uh, either massively, and a newish um, DM friend of mine has been asking me lots of questions, being like, okay, how do I do all of this math? And I'm like, well, you don't. You don't like. I mean, you can, and I think, and often, I often what I will do is, especially when my players have just gained a level, I will quickly go, okay, so an easy encounter for this party is this, a medium is this, and a hard and a deadly is this, just because that then gives me an idea of how to eyeball it, and I will often have the table up and be like, okay, so they can take two thousand XP, you know. So at the moment, I think a medium encounter for my uh, uh, three players is something like 2,000 XP each. So I'm like, oh, well, a uh, challenge rated 5 monster is 1,800, so that'll be slightly la- better than medium. And then, like, challenge 6 is 2,200, so I'm like, that'll yeah. be slightly better than hard. But I don't cost it out exactly. 
Um, it's, there's a very simple process for it. They come up to you and say, how do I balance this? How do I do all this maths? You don't say a word, you just look them in the eye, and you pick up the bucket of ogres, and just shove it into their hands and go, have fun. Yeah. Um, just empty this across the board and see whoever's left. And I'm conscious that this is this is where the advice I give someone who's played a few games as a DM and the advice I give someone who's very new to it differ because I know from having played 5th edition that my my current party has has been way more successful at getting meaningful magic items through lucky rolls on treasure tables and the fact that my my way of generating treasure is to generate more of it than the players are intended to get and mm. expect they won't find all of it. Because uh, then I don't yeah. feel worried about um, hiding really good treasure behind locked doors and, uh, and yeah. secrets and things like that. <laughs> um, I'm not even talking about if they fail to explore the whole dungeon. Like Just quite often, it will be hard for players to find all my treasure. And I aim for them to get about 75%. But my current players have probably got 90 or 95, and they um, were rewarded for taking a fight that I didn't expect them to be able to take at all, and winning it with superior tactics by getting a, a higher level treasure before they could. They helpfully left all of that on the fighter when they uh, got there. So, <laughs> so, so that's uh, brought the power level down a bit. Um, but they that's, that's some relatable content. One of my players has recently lost literally everything. The oh. magic bow they've got, the bag of holding that had the entire party's money. Oh dear. And all their items. Oh and they have and they did not go back for it. And now they've gone How the fuck do we go back for this now? Uh at the Edinburgh Fringe there was a show uh, featuring comedians playing D and D late at night. Marcus Bridgestock was on it, and um, one of the most evil traps I saw at that was designed to deprive the players of all their possessions because it was a <laughs> a um, portable hole on the floor, and then the trap when you act when you stepped on the uh, pressure plate would release a bag of holding. Oh, <laughs> it was very evil. Yeah, that's that's. That is that is what we call some fuckery. Yeah. Um, that is that is that is that is some that is some bullshit of the highest category, sir. <laughs> indeed. But yeah, so um what was I saying? Yeah, so I know that my players can take harder they've consistently taken harder fights than they are supposed to be able to. But um that's very hard to explain to a new GM. Yeah. So I often say you can use the encounter thing as a as a guide. A guide. But the main thing I would care about is look at the adventuring day numbers and add up the number of monsters and see at the point you cross that and see if you're going to give them a chance to rest before they hit that point. And if they aren't, then you're probably pushing too hard. Just scale it back a bit. And most people will rest well before they reach their supposed 10 encounters a day. Yeah, in play, players, players tend to go, I'm not looking great, we're going to find a way to get a rest. Players will rest if they if they find a way to rest. And I think that's can. a very D&D specific thing as well, because like Shadowrun, uh, something I had to adapt to with encounters with that is, it certainly feels like in Shadowrun, you are supposed to take the full day worth of encounters and threats without resting or stopping. Mm-hmm. Because the rest rules for that are very prohibitive. You, uh, If you've taken... Because it has two damage tracks, the stun and a physical. Uh, stun, you can 
after an hour of resting, you can roll, and if you get some hits, you will recover some stun. But it's a full day for physical resting, yeah. and you can only apply magic healing and similar to an injury once. So if I, like, you know, if, if I have one of my bad guys unload a shotgun into the enemy and that puts someone at a critical health, they mage can apply some magic healing, but then they can't heal that injury with magic again until, you know, if they got shot a second time, they could then heal some of that damage. I mean, Shadowrun is incredibly rules complex, so this is a massive abridgment of very complicated healing uh, rules. But basically the point is, in Shadowrun, you are supposed to be able to sort of tackle all the threats in a day or die trying. So it's a very different kind of calculation to say D&D, where I think a big part of it is resource management. It's like, okay, so we're going to rest now. And um, yeah. I think, you know, you've got to design your encounters thinking about... Because uh, I think it's very tempting to make your boss fights your hardest possible encounters, and generally that's correct. But I mm. would scale my hardest possible... In- you know, I wouldn't put um, a deadly encounter at the end of a very long dungeon, for example, because yeah. I'm expecting my players to have used some of their powers. The function of the dungeon is to make things easier for the boss at the end. Boss doesn't hide in a dungeon if they think they can easily destroy anything that comes across yeah. their path. Yeah, and it's one of the things, and um, lots of... This is another reason to use... Because I've, I've sometimes met GMs that are like, why do I bother with random encounters and wandering monsters and stocking dungeons when it doesn't make a lot of sense i could just have the evil king be in his castle and the players barge into the throne room and fight in the throne room like that often happens in cinema and books for yeah. example the hero bursts in does a uh, one-on-one duel with... what ho yeah and if you want to run that style of campaign more power to you but one of the things that i'm trying to train my current uh, D party out of is to not blow their highest level powers at the first thing that confronts them in a day because they could do yeah. with saving some of them for boss fights and similar. That is what one of my groups very much does. Yeah. And I very much have a story about that. Oh, well, I, go ahead. My One of the encounters that they came across where they very much... In fact, let's split this into two stories, shall we? Because one of the encounters they have where they very much look was on their side is with my group that is now at something like level 16 or so. They're very high level. I've already told them multiple times at this point, I, I ain't fucking balancing shit for you. I, at this point, seeing as you're able to clear most of the things I put in your way, my approach to encounter design for them is fling shit at them and, find, and eventually finally find something that they can't deal with. Like most recently, they literally just entered a, a ankeg nest. This, this underground burrow surrounded by all these ankegs. Individually, not very difficult to fight, but when you are literally sw- surrounded by a swarm that could attack at any moment, it's a bit of a different dynamic. But uh, with regards to an earlier fight, whether we're going through the Underdark, I pit them up against a some devils. Uh, specifically, they came up against an Erinyes. Now, one of my players very much well, at that time was playing a sorcerer cleric, and uh, very much has a vibe of uh, whenever he's doing anything just go what's my highest level spell slot let's use that first <laughs> and so kick they kick in the door and get a natural 20 on something like a sixth level chromatic orb see put it this way there was there was within the within the first turn not the first round the first turn 
That devil was down to about ten percent of their health. Nice. I didn't. I, it didn't. It didn't last very long after that. It was. It was this built-up fight that was very anticlimactic because of that. And uh, but to be fair, the problem they then had to face is now we've now we're in the heart of enemy te- territory, and we've got to work out how to get out of there and still survive. Uh, but uh, that's that's a different story for a different time. On the other side of the spectrum is uh, them coming off a fight with a modified blue dragon in the elemental plane of air when a tower literally appears out of nowhere and falls at them because it's had part of this arcane school that as part of the larger story of the world had disappeared in an unexplained magical accident some time ago and one of the players characters was trying to find it again and so this literal tower appears having been effectively hopping between dimensions and now ends up falling through the elemental plane of air. And I started giving these vibes as they were exploring through it initially about there's something in here, there's something fucky as eyeballs start appearing on the walls and observe them. And it's a case of a beholder had literally adopted it as their lair. And uh, yeah, get, given that they'd already expended a lot of their big stuff earlier in the day, the, the fight should not have been too bad for them. And yet bad luck and bad rolls meant that that was a TPK. I mean, there was some fuck. I, there was some fuckery. They managed to keep playing because, uh, effectively, what one of the things they they say from early in the year is I like to give out gifts to my players around uh, holidays and stuff like that. So they'd saved a what was referred to as a DMX machina, and so the the literal dm rewound time for them back to just before they were they f- found the beholder yeah but uh, it's it's that sort of case of when you've got a player that will sort of dump everything in for everything they've got in the first round you've got to kind of think carefully about uh, how you how you play out how you balance out your encounters are they just going to are they going to dump everything into the first fight they come across and go well i've got nothing left fuck or uh... Yeah, definitely. Um, I think encounter design is tricky, and I think the re- main way of thinking about it is to think about what's this encounter for, what's its purpose, both on a meta level. Oh, it's draining players' resources. Yeah. Oh, it's got a serious chance of killing players. Um, oh, this is just to set something up. This is just context, so it doesn't matter if it's hard or not, because really this is only meant to show the players some bad things. Um, mm. And on a narrative level, you know, these wolves are attacking you because they're hungry. Like, their objective yeah. in this fight you... is, to, is to get food. So if you throw food at them, they'll go away. Yeah, how do you set up the vibe of an encounter? Because obviously, encounters don't happen in a vacuum. You don't just go, all right, to, to reference to other, you're walking through the woods, bucket of, go- bucket of ogres, there you go. You're in a fight now, have fun. You know, there's there's always a, there was there is always a purpose or a build up to it. Like in my case, the the harpy where they where they were where they were traveling through this ominous environment. There's always this threat that attack could come from elsewhere, or the Sankeg's hive where they were where they were going through. They were there to hunt the queen, and they were in ta- they first encountered it because they met someone on the road who had literally fallen victim to this Sankeg tr- ambush, which gives them potentially a way into the the hive and a way to explore it. So how do you go about actually setting up thematically and narratively the correct tone and the correct vibe for an encounter Um, obviously it depends on the type of encounter i mean i think in a dungeon your encounters are kind of helpfully pre-set up the players have gone there for Mm. a reason the the dungeon is a fortress of some kind or a tomb or something with defenses the almost every encounter in a dungeon is you encounter 
part of the dungeon's defences, or some other group that is interested in this place. Uh, generally, those are the, you know, there are occasionally other things, but generally I would say in a dungeon, it does a lot of the heavy lifting of encounter setup because there are, everyone knows why someone might be here already. Hmm. But you've got to, you've then in that case you've got to have a bit of a logical process of what are the what are the uh, defenses that are going to be in here? Are these defenses traps or are they dangers? I.e., are they something that has been mechanically set up with a purpose of delaying or harming, or is it just a danger of the environment, like a like a like a like rocks fall type traps that could narratively be this is a tra- this is a trap that's meant to release a bus- basket of rocks, or it could be this is an old dungeon poorly maintained if you do the wrong thing this part of it could fall apart and similarly is this meant as a defensive mechanism against any intruder or is this someone who's going i know who's coming for me i can't stop them i just want to delay them and long enough for my plans to come into action stuff like that yeah then i think in the wilderness and in cities and so on it's more different there are there are a few reasons you might do an encounter i think uh setup of a context or an introduction to a fight. So this might be bandits raiding your village. It might be the players see, you know, a criminal from the local thieves guild throwing someone out and they can choose to I, I often like, especially in cities, to do these tell these encounters where it's a like you're kind of asking the players, are you gonna intervene? Like, you know, they see a big like bar fight breakout. They see um some person being dragged to prison. They, you know, they hear a commotion and it's like, you're not involved in this. Do you want to be? Um, And that I like to give players. I think one of the big things for me about setting up encounters is giving the players agency. And a a real trick I've learned recently as I've started to use random encounters and elements more, uh, which I know you don't use basically at all, um, is to make the players roll for random encounters rather than the GM. Because I was finding that with the places the players were traveling, this is why I kind of moved into random encounters. I didn't want to put specific set of encounters in their way, but it seemed unlikely that nothing would occur on their journey. Yeah. So I was like, well, I'll make a random encounter table. And I had the players roll on a table that was like 1 to 13, nothing happens. Uh, And then I think it was something like... 14 to 16, you encounter some kind of interesting floor, uh, like location. You you know, you travel through a swamp or something. 17 to 19 was you encounter some kind of monster. And 20 was um, you encounter a monster in an interesting location. Yeah. And and I made a list of different things. And most of them, I, I the two tables I designed for this, it were about 50-50 good encounters to bad encounters, I think an important thing to consider is always to go like, okay, well, not everything you meet on the road wants to kill you. Some of it might sell you things, and some of it Mm. might go either way. And I think letting the players roll on those tables, being like, okay, each day one of you needs to roll a d20. And then when they got a certain amount, being like, okay, can you roll a d10? They felt very invested, because even if it was just on a meta level, they were being like, oh... You, you seem to be rolling really well, so you should keep rolling. You, oh, yes. this encounter is your fault. <laughs> yes. um, and yes. it just meant that the what would have otherwise been days of me going, okay, roll, nothing happens. Okay, yeah, nothing happens. Oh, a thing <laughs> happens. Like, 
It yeah. just made that whole thing interesting. And random encounters are where I put my world fluff. It's where I put my world set. Yeah. Because usually you only want one or two a day and the players are going to rest and you're probably not going to put a really super hard encounter on there. Occasionally you... Because if you want them to encounter something that's going to change the course of a game, that's not going to be random. You're going to make that happen. It's like the old adage that uh, the reason tracking is useless is because if the GM wants you to find the tracks, you will find them. And if he doesn't, you won't. Mm. As we've already discussed, I'm not the best with random encounters because my, my A, it's not something that my brain's necessarily as geared for. And B, my mentality has often been I like to kind of pre-plan things to a certain degree. I have used more randomness in the past and I am gearing more towards it because in cases like that Harpy example, we would uh, you would want some sort of degree of randomness to emphasize the fact that you are traveling through a dangerous environment. However... That sounds like a topic for a future it for a future podcast does, to discuss yeah. in more detail. Yeah, I definitely how we would think. go about building an encounter. Perhaps next week. Yeah, if you want. Teach teach me how to make a random encounter. Teach me the wild world of randomness, so wild magic sorcerer. Yeah, all right. I'll, well, actually, yeah, it might be a good topic for next week because recently I've got some learnings from a dungeon I did where it was entirely a random table. Oh, it was it was entirely. A table where the players could roll. Yeah, they, they, they would roll, and I and depending on what they roll, I would describe whether they'd come to a door or a chamber or a corridor and what was in it. But yeah, I I, I sort of agree with your point on getting the players to make the roll. It's one of the reasons why you you kind of want to engage the players at any given point, and it's one of the reasons why something I've nicked from D and D is for nerds. Let's add that to the list of potential lawsuits. Why not? Uh, <laughs> is this uh, feature whenever there's a whenever there's a great degree of chance or luck. I will roll usually a d100, and I will ask the players, "All right, highs or lows?" Yeah, or, or and they just have to guess. Have I ro- have I rolled high or have I rolled low? So it's a case of sure, there is entirely random chance, but to a degree, they then get to go. I should have guessed low. I should have guessed low. <clears throat> and that was very characteristic in the in the uh, fight I did with my group uh, on the Thursday about the the artillery position, because as I said, I was making that roll every time that it got to the enemy's turn to see who the giant would be hostile to. And the entire first game, they kept getting it wrong. And then the next game, one of my players, it was consistently them making the call. And they had some and they had some much better looking. It's going, yeah, you see, I should, I should have been doing this the whole time. Yeah, I, I really like... And that's another thing about... Uh, something to consider when you're running encounters, which is always worth bearing in mind when you're designing them, is if this starts going one way or another, how are the people going to react like... You know, are these fanatics? Are they going to fight to the death? Or if you kill their leader, are they just yes. going to go, oh, well, our uh, investment's lost now? Or, you know, mm. if, if you kill Dave and Clive, is John going to surrender? <laughs> like, you know. Are they are they zealots, mercenaries, or peasants? Or wild animals. And quite often with, like, wild animals, I will... Um, I do like making this role myself, actually, but um, uh, sometimes I, I will go on to even if it's a choice or two, of two, but quite often I'll be like, okay, I've got three players. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yes. It's a five. You get attacked. <laughs> this is what you won. Yeah, and, it, and, we, and we already know you're actually rolling a d20 the entire time, so they <laughs> never stood a chance. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I... It's oh, a, what a surprise. Yeah. They hit... Yeah. It's that, that's been the 17th crit in a row. What can I say? I'm just that damn lucky. Yeah. yeah. I don't advocate for fudging dice rolls generally, though. Um, I advocate for fudge as a dice. 
I would literally get a bit of fudge, carve carve the numbers into it. You've got a d6 there that you can snack on. When you can literally devour your dice when it betrays uh, you. Is there any other big insights you want to say about encounter design and encounter setup? I think the point about I don't context... know what's my insight bonus. Ah, I see. Because I rolled an eight, so it's probably not. Yeah. It's it's not going to be a great time. I don't think the insight's <laughs> a skill you're proficient in. That seems very likely. I don't think there's many skills I'm proficient in. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I don't think there's anything else we want to talk about encounter design. I hope. This was useful. Um, it is always worth considering um, stuff. Uh, I don't know where I was going with that. Uh, yeah, cl- th- look, Nathan. Yep. There's a very simple rule when uh, you don't know where you're going. And that's where we get a D100. And we look at the random events table. And we pick up the bucket of ogres. Mm. What a surprise. 15 ogres. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think we're done here. Say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, we're we're gonna go fight off a bunch of ogres now. You, uh, <laughs> and we will, uh, if we survive, we'll continue to uh, hurl abuse at Chris Perkins for still not giving us that damn book give yet. Us a, give us a book, Chris. You know you want. Yeah, to. come on, Chris. You know we know you got one. We know we know you got that little stash of books hidden away. All right, bye everyone. It's all right.